Welcome to the Dewhawk Digest, the podcast for all things Loras College. In this episode, we discuss writing, teaching, and other things with Dr. Kevin Koch. I'm Robert Waterbury, Assistant Director of Campus Communications, and as I mentioned, I'm joined by Loras Professor of English, Dr. Koch. Welcome to the Dewhawk Digest. Thanks for having me here today. And so, hope things are going well for you. You're kind of we're off into summer break at this point, so keeping yourself busy and yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> you know obviously unusual times. So, um, uh, thinking about what the fall might look like, but also taking a little time to do some bicycling and uh, some writing projects as well. Good. So, so you've been a member of the Loris community for for quite some time. When did your affiliation with the college actually begin? Actually, uh, I'm a, a Loris graduate as well. So um, <clears throat> my first days on campus were uh, fall of 1977 as a, as a freshman. And uh, so I graduated in 1981 with uh, majors in English and political science. And uh, returned just a few uh, short, just a couple of years after that uh, to start teaching in the English department. So yeah. Okay, so have you always had a love for for English and for writing, or how did where did that develop in your in your life? Yeah, I um, I, I talk with my students in um, <clears throat> my teaching of writing course about um, about you know their own associations with writing. You know, when did they, they first begin to think of themselves as writers, or um, yeah, just to kind of trace that, and, and I talk about it myself, and so. My story goes way back to before I, I, I could even <clears throat> uh, write the alphabet. I used to uh, take sheets of paper and just make squiggly lines on them um, <clears throat> page after page. And it sort of, I guess, rep- uh, looked like the um, longhand writing that my, that my mother would make on uh, letters that she wrote at the kitchen table. So I guess I've been thinking about myself as a writer for a long, long time. <laughs> Is there anything in particular that you, that you find yourself drawn to in terms of whether it's specific genres or styles or artists or I should say yeah. authors? I should say? Yeah. Um, well, with you know within the the writing field, my focus is on an area called creative nonfiction, which is um, it's, it's kind of a funny sounding term, creative nonfiction, <laughs> but um, um, what it is basically is um, Nonfiction writing that is uh, still literary, artistic, um, um, more colorful to read than, say, a textbook or uh, standard journalism or something like that. So it's often memoir uh, writing, uh, reflective writing, and then sometimes it's uh, what's called literary journalism, which is still uh, researched and interviewed, but um, often involves um, person um, <clears throat> a personal narrative in, in the piece as well. And even within that, I tend to write a lot of nature writing. So my uh, favorite authors are folks like um, uh, Annie Dillard, who uh, uh, won the Pulitzer Prize uh, it's, it's some time ago now, but uh, with a book called um, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, a uh, wonderful book that I l- like to teach. And Scott Russell Sanders, um, <clears throat> who uh, kind of mixes his nature writing with uh, 
writing about uh, community and family. Uh, one, of, one of the favorite works that I teach from his work is called um, uh, Staying Put, uh, making, a, um, making a life in a rest, in a, making a rest, restful life in a restless world or something like that. <laughs> um, so those are a couple, uh, you know, a couple of my favorite authors. Obviously, there's many more as well. But uh, yeah, nature writing is, is something that um, is, is, is where my own writing has uh, evolved to uh, over the years. Okay, so and obviously every year you're, you're introducing writing or kind of expanding the, the writing capabilities of your students. Uh, what is it that, uh, what kind of keeps you, keeps you really engaged, especially when you're, you're working with students? And, and I mean, you have your the thing that you love to do, but you see they're all, they're all you know, poetry. There's, yeah, the creative fiction, there's all kind of, you know, essays, all the things that they do. What is it, is it, is it really just the, the kind of breadth of things that you get to teach and see that really draws you in? Yeah, I mean, I'm continually amazed at <clears throat> what um, some of our undergraduates can write, because I, I don't think, I mean, I always thought of myself as, as a writer going back, as I talked about before, but I don't think I could write as well or as deeply as, as um, uh, some of them do when I was that age. And so um, I'm really quite, a, quite amazed and it, uh, it keeps, uh, keeps things fresh and um, keeps me motivated as a teacher as well. So this, the, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but this past semester obviously was kind of unlike anything we've seen, obviously with the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic, everything transitioned to online learning. So how did, how did this last semester really kind of how did it impact you as a, as a teacher when I was seeing instead of that, that face-to-face learning is gone and now it's all online? Yeah. Well, the, 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 the fortunate thing about this past spring was that we got almost half a semester with the students in the classroom. So I was able to you know, know who they were and develop um, um, you know, teacher-student relationships with them. So that, that, that helped. I think it would have been difficult to make those relationships um, from the get-go online. But I mean, it's really important in a writing class to, to have that kind of um, uh, relationship uh, because, you know, even when you're dealing with, um, say, freshman composition where the writing is less personal in a research paper or something, you know, there's, there's a lot of sort of ego on the line. But then when you get into a creative nonfiction uh, piece and, um, or class and the, the writing is personal memoir, um, reflection, things like that, uh, there's a lot of you know, personal um, <clears throat> concern that's wrapped up in that writing and, and to be able to respond to that in a way that is both um, nurturing but also, you know, uh, pushing them ahead to, to, to do further and better, um, that requires, you know, having a, a good relationship with students and finding that right sweet spot between encouragement and um, nudging, I guess you'd say. And so, um, so we're fortunate to have that uh, first half of the semester live, I think. Um, when we got on to online, uh, we had already established some uh, procedures where, um, oh, when a particular student um, produces a, a, a piece of writing uh, draft in what we call a workshop, um, there's always another student who's assigned to be the um, discussion leader for it. 
and so they will um, uh, write, um, you know, all, all of the students in the class will read it and respond to it, but the discussion leader is responsible for um, going a little bit further and deeper and, and uh, creating the discussion questions, et cetera. And I'm going to, obviously, I join in as, as well. But um, so they kind of had a pattern um, for uh, critiquing work that uh, continued on through the, the online um, measure or time. And I, um, I was really quite impressed by the depth of uh, feedback that they gave each other once they, they got online. So it, you know, obviously I'd rather be in the classroom, but um, I thought students really stepped up to the plate um, during the online uh, period. And did you feel it difficult or find, were you able to kind of find your way to kind of help stay connected to those students kind of through the rest of the semester? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was, um, I mean, I, I kept, um, I kept an, uh, a Zoom meeting open for the first half hour of, of class each time. Now, we did not meet uh, in real time. Uh, for my classes, it just, I had students who, um, when they got back home, uh, had jobs. Sometimes they had internet connections that worked better at one time a day than another. So we just decided that, um, that we would, you know, work through the written word and, and we're a, a writing class, so why not, you know? <laughs> um, so, um, uh, but I kept a Zoom link open and, and, and you know, occasionally, um, some you know students would would uh, chime in and uh, have some questions or just want to say hi or whatever. So yeah. Okay. And so the obviously you said the, the students actually were, you're really impressed with the way that they were able to kind of critique each other and just kind of work together online in terms of the, the content that they what they're actually what they're outputting in terms of writing. Um, was everything still pretty much you know as good or better than than what you normally see? Well, I made a uh, last minute change for one of the assignments and I'm glad I did it. In fact, I might carry it over into uh, <clears throat> next uh, spring, um, whether we're online or offline. Um, oftentimes with my creative nonfiction class, I will end with a short feature article. And uh, so whereas our other works are Oh, maybe about 1,800 to 2,000 words, uh, creative essays, et cetera. The short feature article is uh, about 500. And students always go, oh, wow, great short piece. Well, you know, when you, anything you add at that point, you got to take away something else, you know. So it's, uh, they, they quickly find that writing a short piece is as challenging as a longer piece. But Feature article typically is going to require uh, them to, to do some interview of um, uh, an ex expert, a, a student they're focusing in on, or what, whatever their subject matter was going to be. So that was going to be difficult uh, during the COVID um, um, social distancing time. So um, I have been um, subscribing to um, uh, it's called Sunday short reads, which are um, short pieces of flash nonfiction uh, that <clears throat> come out weekly from a magazine called Creative Nonfiction. And again, they are uh, memoir pieces of, uh, <clears throat> I think it was around 500 words, 500 to 700 words maybe. 
And so I decided instead of the feature article, I would have my students do the uh, flash nonfiction pieces. And they were just uh, um, really great to read. I mean, with that piece, you just kind of, you know, <clears throat> get the reader's attention right off the bat and uh, have a piece that's both personal, but also connects at some sort of universal level too. So that the, the reader has a, re a reason to be interested in your life. It has to be something that connects to their life as well. So, yeah. So, well, and obviously effective enough that you want to keep going forward with it, which is fantastic. I think so, yeah, yeah. I keep using that. <laughs> did, did they like that then too? Is that something that they... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. So in, in terms of what they're outputting, so one of the things that, that we do every year is you guys put together the, the Limestone Review, which mm -hmm. is a, a publication with, for student work. Could you talk a little bit about what the Limestone Review is all about? Yeah. <clears throat> so Limestone Review is sort of the um, successor of a, a, a line of uh, literary magazines, literary scholarly magazines at the college. I'll probably forget some of the titles, but uh, uh, back in the day, there was the Spokesman and there was the Outlet and uh, DES Alpha. And um, <clears throat> uh, now it's kind of coalesced into the Limestone Review. So um, it's student writing in the areas of fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, and scholarly essay. Um, we uh, publish uh, once each year. And um, the... Um, Students can not only uh, submit work, but uh, can also be um, participate in the, the reading and rating uh, process. Um, then faculty editors um, select the best of each genre um, each year and submit it to the National uh, Delta Epsilon Sigma uh, Undergraduate uh, National Writing Contest. Um, DES is a National Catholic um, Honor Society. And uh, so we've been doing that annually. We have won um, first, we have won at least one uh, spot in first, second, and or honorable mention in at least one genre for uh, I believe it's 27 consecutive years. And quite a few years, it's been more than uh, one genre and more than one winner. So um, we think that we've, we've got some good student writers, uh, not just uh, in recent years, but going back over a long, long time. And we also submit um, the, the whole um, magazine each year to uh, another contest. It's called, uh, it's a magazine called Plain China, which is a national undergraduate literary magazine that specializes in republication of works that they um, particularly um, uh, think are memorable. And so um, in recent years, our students have been getting some national republications as well. So, so yeah, really uh, very proud of, of the work that uh, appears in all four genres um, of, of the magazine. It's good reading. <laughs> and uh, the, the name itself, the Limestone Review, where did the, that, that particular name come from? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I mentioned that we had uh, two, um, uh, there have been previous publications. And um, when um, we uh, joined two um, previous publications together, uh, we wanted to have a fresh name. And actually, we just kind of put a, a contest out there. And um, um, 
our own uh, Kyle Klapatowskis at, at Loris came up with the name, um, but but I really love the name Limestone Review because um, that's the bedrock of um, of the Dubuque area of the the Driftless area of the um, um, you know Northeast Iowa. It's it, it's our bedrock and it's uh, um, and 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 Loris is a bedrock of those places as well. So I think it's a great great name for uh, our magazine. So. So you've been with Loris, obviously going, you know, more than 20 years, going back into your uh, your undergrad days, and so and you've you've had a chance to work with a lot of great students, a lot of great faculty. Uh, do you have any particular, you know, real great memories or people that really stand out to you in your time here? Mm -hmm. Among uh, faculty students. Uh... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, we often talk about the the uh, quote old guard. Of, of, of faculty in, in that uh, were here when I joined in a sense that quote old guard were first generation of, of uh, lay faculty um, at, at the college and so you know some of those people who were really influential with me well a couple of them I, I ended up teaching with for a number of years Dr. Donna Bowerly, Dr. Frank Lehner, um, but others from other departments as well, Dr. Tom Augie, uh, Frank Noonan, Jerry Noonan. Um, I hate to get into this because I'm going to leave out names, you know, um, and Senior Barta, of course. Um, so those were um, great people to, to not only have known in my undergraduate days, <clears throat> but then to begin working with um, uh, as a young faculty member. Um, then... Um, I mean, I've just been blessed with uh, fantastic colleagues in the English department um, <clears throat> all through my career. Um, the, um, um, I'll only name one because only one has been there the whole time that I have been there. And so, <laughs> so Andy Augie has been a great person to, to work with uh, through all these years um, um, and very influential to me as well. But just all of my colleagues, past and present, uh, it's, it's been a, a really wonderful department. And the students, I think, um, uh, the English majors, they really uh, pick up on the camaraderie of the English department, uh, the English faculty. And uh, so, you know, they, they keep in touch with us, uh, whether it's uh, live or on Facebook or, or whatever it might be. Um, but um, um, it's, it's just been a, a wonderful um, way to spend one's career so yeah so in addition to teaching you're also you know you teach writing but you also write yourself you, you've actually yes, yeah. published you i know you do a regular column you know appear regularly locally in the newspaper and the telegraph herald with a column on, on on nature and then you also have three books that you've published uh, yeah, can you right. talk about can you talk a little bit about uh let's start with the books in terms of what, what you've written and, and then have sure. published sure yeah um in, in, in a way, my three books uh, kind of make a, an expanding trilogy. Um, the first one was called Skiing at Midnight, um, a nature journal from Dubuque County, Iowa. And so that kind of began with uh, the title essay, uh, Skiing at Midnight. One, I, I love cross-country skiing, and uh, I was, we lived near a golf course, and I always used to just look out at that golf course at night uh, when it's when it fresh snow. And, you know, it's it's bright enough. I could go out there with my skis, and and finally, 
I just did it, you know? And uh, so, um, and uh, it was just an amazing experience, which I, you know, now do regularly whenever I can get out there in the skis in, in the middle of the night, I'll do so. Um, <clears throat> but then I found, uh, well, why don't I write about that, you know? And uh, so that became the beginning essay. Uh, that one is more of a personal memoir kind of piece, but I also then started um, started the uh, tradition of kind of mixing those personal essays with research pieces. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I did pieces on the Mississippi River, on the Heritage Trail, on Mines of Spain, Swiss Valley, things like that, that were more uh, literary journalism that involves, like I say, you know, research and interview, but also it's couched in a personal narrative. Um, <clears throat> after that, my uh, focus started to broaden out a little bit to um, the Driftless area in general. Uh, driftless area for anybody not familiar with that term is this uh, rocky hilly region, <clears throat> excuse me, of Northeast Iowa, um, uh, Southeast Minnesota, Northwest Illinois, and Southwest and kind of central Wisconsin. And it's called driftless because there's no glacial drift here. Glaciers acting like big bulldozers that flattened a lot of the Midwest. They didn't come here. And so um, <clears throat> um, this area is quite hilly and driftless. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that essay, or that book uh, likewise is a collection of pieces that are both uh, personal reflective essays um, and, um, and more research pieces. So uh, works about uh, Cincinnati Mound, for example, Trempolo, Wisconsin, Kickapoo River, uh, but also more um, reflective pieces like a piece, piece that is uh, titled Where the Earth Breathes of Our Stability. Um, and, th and that piece is kind of focused on a, <clears throat> um, a place near my house where there's this vertical cave shaft where warm air comes up in the winter. And I once took a, a handful of fresh snow and threw it across the cave opening and it puffed up like confetti, you know. And uh, in that essay, I talked a little bit about, you know, the cave mechanics that cause that. But then I said, but I prefer to talk about it as a place one of the places where the earth breathes, you know. So, um, and then, um, then I had the opportunity, and again, I have to uh, credit uh, Andy Augie uh, because he got me thinking about uh, Ireland. <clears throat> I had been writing about the Driftless and about Dubuque for a long time. And uh, Andy was and still is the director of the um, Irish Studies program at Lawrence. And... Um, Started talking to me about, you know, the sense of place that I was developing with um, the Driftless and the sense of place that pervades um, um, Ireland in the connection of people to locality and place. And so uh, I, be, I became the um, director for the um, Irish study of the Irish. I became the faculty director um, to go with the students to Ireland, put it that way, in um, spring of uh, 2012. And um, I said, it, was, it was a wonderful experience, but uh, I'm the kind of person for whom something isn't quite finished until I write about it. Mm -hmm. And um, 
but I also felt, you know, I, you know, I'd spent quite a bit of time in Ireland, um, but I didn't feel like I could write about Ireland alone as an expert, but rather what I hit upon was the idea that my experience in, in, in Ireland um, was a way to give me a, a new way to look at my own home. So that became the impetus for the third book, which is called um, The Thin Places, A Celtic Landscape from Ireland to the Driftless. I returned, um, I had, uh, was awarded the O'Connor Chair for Catholic Thought in 2015-16 uh, and returned to Ireland for a couple of months. Um, it's all told, you know, I've, I've spent probably about a year there. Um, but yeah, so that became the impetus that in each chapter of that book, I link up a place in Ireland with a place in the Driftless along a theme of uh, Celtic spirituality. And, um, and then if that wasn't complicated enough, I, I, I link each one to one of the solstices or equinoxes or um, <clears throat> uh, Celtic feasts. So um, I'll just read real quick the, the um, eight themes that I use. Um, winter solstice, the land is sacred. Emolk, which is a Celtic feast, uh, February 1st, the creation is good. Uh, spring equinox, the holy transforms the familiar. Uh, Bealtaine, which is May 1st, a Celtic feast. Time is cyclical and elastic in the thin places. Uh, summer solstice, animals shape the human world. Um, Lunasa, which is Celtic feast, um, end, of, uh, end of August. The holy inhabits remote austere places. The fall equinox, story gathers in the landscape. And Samhain, which is basically Halloween, poets give voice to the landscape. So again, in each chapter, there's that, uh, that particular Celtic theme that I use to talk about a place in Ireland, and then likewise link it to a place here in the Driftless. Okay. So those, those three books, then, they're available for anybody, anybody's interested. And where could they find, uh, find those books? Mm -hmm. uh, different places for each one, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Thin Places is um, uh, Whipfinstock, uh, W-I-P-F, and Stock. Uh, um, so, and, and I, actually, I have a web a website um, called Kevin Koch, the Driftless Land, and there's actually links to all through Driftless and Skiing at Midnight can be obtained uh, through me via the website. Okay. And even on the website, you can link to um, the Thin Places. So, yeah. Okay. Excellent. So hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll share a link out in that in our show notes so that people can find that and kind of directly, directly to it. But so then you're also doing some, like I said, some, uh, some columns and other, other writings too, in addition to the books. What else yeah. are you working on? Um, oh, I don't know how many years I've done this, maybe 10, uh, maybe longer. Uh, but every other month I write a, a nature column for the Dubuque Telegraph Herald, uh, usually local or regional. Uh, once in a while, uh, I'll go outside the area, or when I was in Ireland, I did a few pieces from there. Um, but again, you know, I was talking earlier about writing that that short uh, piece, um, and so my column is basically 800 to 1,000 words. And um, while I love the, the book-length uh, kind of piece where I can really explore something, explore it deeply. I also really like that challenge of being limited to that thousand words. 
So if I really want this to be in there and I've written my first draft and it's not there yet, then something else has got to go, you know? <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes that might be content, but other, but in, in many ways it's just honing every sentence so that, man, if I can get rid of three unnecessary words in that sentence, I get three words I can add back on some, you know, some other piece that I want to do. So that's, yeah, I do that column every other month, um, do my own photography with, with it as well. Then I publish those, uh, republish those onto my uh, website as well. So um, okay. person can go back and read those uh, from my, it's called the Kevin's Nature blog on, on the um, Kevin Couch and Driftless Land website. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's excellent. So between your books and, and all your, uh, your nature writings that you've, your columns that you're putting out we'll make sure that uh get everybody directed over there and can kind of check them out and kind of stay connected with your writing as you, and, and again it's ever the teacher you're still learning yourself and kind of expanding your abilities to be able to teach those to the students sure and a lot of my uh, teaching has evolved with my uh, nature writing um originally i developed a course uh, called uh, called nature writing but uh, actually, I've developed uh, a few more thematic courses um, in more recent years. I have one, a J-term class called uh, Writing the Midwest Landscape um, that involves some winter hikes and photo shoots along with uh, the writing and, and workshopping. Um, a fall course in our new uh, curriculum um, for first-year students and, and above. Um, it doesn't have to be first-year students, but it's called um, Mississippi River Lore and Legacy. And uh, just this spring, I did a new course in, again, the new curriculum um, uh, called The Driftless Land. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really become a, a, a mission or a vocation for me, I think, to introduce um, students and, and, and uh, people beyond their student days to Partly it's to this local area, because I love this area, but partly it's to whatever area you live in or will live in, that you connect deeply to that place. And I think when we connect deeply to place, then we're less likely to um, put up with any forces that um, might want to destroy that place. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it's a, a testament to, to you and to your, your fellow staff, uh, faculty members that, you know, the uh, the awards and the, the acknowledgments that the, the Laura students receive for their writing that, that uh, you guys are truly connecting with them and really helping them to expand their writing abilities. Sure, yeah. And I've got great uh, uh, writing colleagues as well, um, uh, teaching fiction and poetry writing and so, so yeah. Yeah, so, well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me and kind of talking about your experiences and your own writing. Like I said, we'll, we'll share out your website and our show notes and and uh, make sure everybody kind of stays, uh, stays connected to your works. Okay, thank you. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, thanks. And, and thanks to everyone who listened into our discussion. You can find new stories, videos, and podcasts about Loris each day on the Loris Daily website at daily.loris.edu. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe for email updates. There's a button at the top. You can't miss it. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will join us again for the next Dewhawk Digest. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Go Dewhawks.